Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied abundantly unto you all through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That hymn helped many people through uh, times of suffering. We are in 1 Peter chapter 4. And so we are looking at suffering. And one big word that we must not forget in all our talks about suffering is found in verse 12. And it's the word beloved. It's a great word. When we call someone beloved, it means we care incredibly for them. When God's word calls us beloved, it means everything. And I'll tell you why. Because God called his own son Jesus beloved. Remember at his baptism, a voice came out of the heavens saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And what Peter says is that you also, if you are a Christian, that you too are in the same position as Jesus, beloved. And there's nothing more encouraging than that. Now, when you look at the life of Jesus and what he goes through and how he's treated and what he suffers, it doesn't look like he's beloved of God. It doesn't. He's hated, he's used, he's abused, he's stolen from, he's abandoned, he's betrayed, he's ignored, he's denied, he's falsely tried, he's arrested, he is murdered. You would not look at Jesus' life and say, that looks like a man who was loved. But he was loved by God, and so are you. You too are loved, even when it doesn't feel like you're being loved. So the question is, how do we follow in Jesus' footsteps on the days that are the most painful, the most difficult, in the seasons that are the most tempting and the most troubling and the most trying? How shall we then live? And I'm telling you, pray for the best and prepare for the worst. So before we get into this, I just want to remind you of an untruth that keeps rearing its ugly head whenever we talk about suffering. And that is, if you do the right thing, good things will happen. When people that love you tell you that, they mean well, they usually do. But ask yourself, did Jesus do the right things? Yes, all the time. Did things go well? No. So it can't be true. It can't be true all the time. If you always do the right thing, things will go well. Thank you, Jesus, for answering that question. Now, let me, let me ask you, when you think of worship, what do you think of when you think of worship? 
Sitting in church, singing, generally speaking, comes to mind. But here's what I want you to think of. There's another way to worship, and that is learning not just to sing, but also to suffer well. Verse 16, suffering is part of our worshiping as much as our singing is. And so if we're going to sing for God and bring him glory, we also need to suffer for God, both of which ways are how we worship God, which is ultimately to bring him the glory. Back to verse 12, beloved, you are loved by God. You can't be loved by God anymore, no matter what you do. You won't be loved by God any less. God loves you. God's love for you is not based on your performance. It is based on the perfect performance of Jesus Christ. So your relational security with God it has been established by Jesus Christ. That's why we worship him today. He loves you. He can't love you anymore, and he won't love you any less. And rest in that. Receive that. Let it sink in deeply and rejoice in that. Why? Because troubles are coming. Beloved, do not be shocked, surprised, when what? Fiery trials come. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. It's a test. It's not a punishment. It's a test. As though something strange, unexpected, totally bizarre. Who would have thought this could ever happen to me? Why is my life difficult when they come, when fiery trials come, it feels like hell is coming up into your life. It's hot, it's unpleasant, it's uncomfortable. Things are getting worse, they're not getting more. Things are getting more difficult, they're getting more complicated. And just to give you context to this passage, Peter is writing... And the government that is in control is the Roman Empire, which was the largest, longest standing, most global and affluent and powerful nation on earth. The ancient Roman world was kind of like our modern United States of America. It's been, similarities have been traced. And what is happening at that time is that a nation was in the process of, under the Roman, in the Roman Empire, it was in the process of self-destructing. Aren't we glad living in Canada that's not happening to us? We might not have the might of America, but we certainly can identify with this uneasy feeling that our country is self-destructing. Rome was in that position. Racial groups were fighting. Polit political groups were fighting. Ethnic groups were fighting. 
Cities, provinces, regions were fighting. It wasn't all external problems. It was largely internal problems that were causing the self-destruction of the Roman Empire. Are there similarities? You bet there are. And what happened was, during that time in the first century, they didn't like Christians. Christians were a small minority group. Our religion back then was outlawed at that time, and we were considered a nuisance. Why? Because we wouldn't worship the emperor. And we wouldn't go along with all the other religions and faiths and beliefs of that day. Christians said, we can't worship Caesar. We worship Jesus. And that put the first Christians at odds with their nation and their culture. Sound familiar? Because the names and the places may have changed, but the powers that work behind them never do. And so what happens is, as Peter writes this letter of encouragement to Christians who are experiencing opposition to their faith, the opposition is now moving towards full-blown persecution. Is the same happening today? Just during my short ministry, I have seen our culture move from starting the day off with prayer in our schools to calls by some to burn down churches, to censor what the church can teach, and to label Christians and Christianity as irrelevant. I tell you this not to scare you, but to prepare you. He says, don't be shocked when fiery trials comes. And what he was saying is it's going to get worse before it gets better. And what was probably about to happen back then in the year 64 AD, the Roman Emperor Nero was going to start a persecution against Christians. And let me give you the historical content. You understand fiery trials. Fire broke out in Rome, where Nero ruled and reigned. However, he was away celebrating his birthday, kind of on vacation. Didn't really hurry back to Rome when he heard the news of the fire. The fire burned for five days. Fire went through the entire great city of Rome, the jewel of the Roman Empire. And he didn't really put the fire out very aggressively. Sound familiar? Our government's or government's response to the pandemic? As a result, all of the people who lost their businesses, lost their homes, lost their loved ones, they turned against him. It was a massive political revolt. Riots and protests and letters to the editors. Sound familiar? Political riots and unrest in all kinds of parts of the world. 
Remember, this isn't an old book. It's an eternal book. It's not outdated. It's constantly timely for every date because history isn't just what happened. It's what always happens. That's why the Word of God is always timeless and timely for every generation. So they have riots and protests and looting and people are revolting and they're opposing the government and Nero realizes he's got to do something and what he decides is he's going to blame the Christians for the fire. The citizens had started a rumor that Nero let the fire burn and that perhaps he started it because he wanted to he wanted to the city to burn down so he could rebuild it in his own image hmm sound familiar there are many generally from the halls of higher education who would like nothing better than to deconstruct tear down and disassemble the traditions and institutions of the past namely Judeo-Christian Christian traditions and build something newer and better world using a socialist Marxist ideology. Today we hear of all kinds of conspiracy theories and the smartest and the loudest people wanting to build a new world in their own image. Nero said, oh, I didn't start the fire. I tried to put the fire out. But there are these weird group of people called Christians that talk about the flames of hell and the judgment of unbelievers. I think they started the fire. And at this time they were a small, quiet minority group who were opposed to the worship of the emperor. And then there's just a mob rule and vengeance and everybody is angry and picketing and protesting and rioting and Nero says, the Christians did it. Take it out on them. And so, history records, in part they did. And this literally became the fiery trial. At this point, it went from opposition to Christianity to state-sponsored persecution of Christianity. Now, Nero started having Christians fed to the lions in the gladiatorial games in the arenas. He would wrap us in pitch and resin. He would run us through with a stake, still alive. He'd put us in the ground and we would hang there until everyone showed up for his evening state dinner parties. And then he would light us on fire as tikka torches. Sometimes we think Things are bad for us in our day. You should read some early church history. It's been much worse. And it's sickening what our forefathers in the faith went through because they believed in Jesus Christ. Now, the physical mistreatment of Christians is not happening so much today in our part of the world. But there have been calls to burn down our churches, challenge our beliefs in the courts. So far, Charter of Human Rights are holding back the onslaught of lawsuits against Christians. But who knows how long that will last. 
So what ultimately was going to happen is that Nero was going to end up killing Paul, the apostle, who authored most of the New Testament books. And he was going to oversee the murder, the execution, the martyrdom of Peter, who warned them about the fiery trials. Now this being said, the position that the early church was in was one where they were in trouble. Not for doing something wrong, but for doing what God said was right, which was believing in Jesus Christ and acknowledging their faith in Jesus Christ publicly. You are going to get in trouble. The question is, who will you get in trouble with? And what will you get in trouble for? If you do what the world says, you'll get in trouble with God. If you do what God says, you will get in trouble with the world. The question is not, will you get in trouble? Who will you get in trouble with? And what will you get in trouble for? And that is what Peter is addressing. So, in our thinking of suffering, let's recap. Remember, this ain't heaven, so don't be shocked when hell shows up. Number two, if you are for God, then eventually the culture and, dare I say, likely the government, soon will be against you. Number three, don't confuse the world's hatred of you with the Father's heart for you. See, what you can think in the midst of suffering is, oh, my life is really hard. I thought God loved me. And I would say, as Peter says, go back to Jesus. God loved him. The Father loved him. And his life, it was very hard. Just because your life is hard does not mean that the Father's heart is not filled with love for you. It means that if you are with the Father, that means you are against the world and the world will treat you as it treated God's Son. Number four, some issues are national and global. This is kind of important. But they're felt personally, but they're not personal. A lot of what we see happening in our world, political upheaval, lots of rioting and unrest. There's lots of cultural opposition to the government now. There's lots of racial and political and economic and social cultural conflict. And it includes Christians, but it wasn't specifically targeted at them individually. Here's what I'm telling you. We're all in this boat together. Every human being is. Creation is groaning. This world is falling apart. The end is near. So if you're saying, man, I feel seasick in this boat. I'm worried. I'm troubled about the world. You're not alone. It feels personal, but it's not personal. We're all on the same sinking ship tossed to and fro by all the winds and the waves of a confused and changing world. Peter calls us, God's word calls us to hang in there. Our job as pastors, 
to prepare you for the reality that you're living and that is coming. I can't change the future, but I can introduce you to the one who will change you so you can endure the future. And most importantly, remember, remember, remember what you believe, especially in turb turbulent times. What you believe is foundational to your life. And what we believe is that God has created all things. He is the owner of this world. He made everything good. He put us in charge to manage and enjoy it. We sinned. We brought sin into the world. And ever since, everything has been in this state of decay. God promised to send us a Savior who would right the wrong. And surprise, surprise, lo and behold, God himself came in the person of Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life we couldn't live. He died in our place and promised to give eternal life to all who would put their trust in him. And he has promised to come back and bring this sin-infested world to a close and make a new heaven and a new earth where we can live forever with him, free from sin, free from suffering, free from sorrow, and free from death. In the meantime, we pray for the best. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. We pray for the best, and we prepare for the worst never forgetting that God goes with us and God will never, ever leave us. Amen.